2: You're with Shim, Spider, and so much more. Take it away, fellas.
0: Yes, hello, and welcome to a brand new football podcast that promises to tell it like it is every week. I'm Simon Hill, aka Shim, and along with my two cohorts, every week we're going to be discussing the big issues in the beautiful game, whether it be the A League resumption or the Women's World Cup, a national second division, or even player regio fees. There are no sacred cows here. And over the coming weeks, we'll be having plenty of special guests on as well to tell us their views and their stories. Of course, we also want your contributions. Please follow us on Twitter. The uh, handle is at ShimMuch, capital S, capital M, or on Facebook at the same address. Share with your friends and get in touch. We want to hear your views, your opinions, your questions. It is time for the fans to be heard. But that, of course, depends upon you getting involved. So don't be shy. Get in touch. We don't bite. Well, Zelko Kalats might. So let's introduce you to our two legends. Zelko Kalats or Spider, who played 54 times for the Socceroos. And a man so tall, his height is measured in altitude rather than centimetres. And Craig Moore, 52 times capped Socceroo, whose ties to Scotland are so close, he now wears a kilt over his budgie
2: smugglers. Good to see you, boys. How are you? Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Maury.
3: How are, how are we, boys? I'm really, really excited for for this podcast. Really excited.
0: Yeah, we are. Um, Maury, you're involved with uh, the Golden Generation. Well, you both are involved with the Golden Generation. How, how, yeah. Very briefly, how did that come about and what's your aim? What are you up to, my son? Look, oh, <laughs> we're up to, up, to, up to plenty, Simon.
3: Look, uh, the the group was formed through really frustration over what we see as a lack of direction in the, the game in recent years. And, you know, the experience that this group has, um, you know, based all over the, the world with the networks that we have, but most importantly, we're extremely passionate um, about Australian football and we want to we want to lend our support um, to be able to
0: try and make a difference in this country. Great to hear, mates. Um, Spider, you were also involved, as I say, in the Golden Generation. You're also coach these days of uh, Sydney United and uh, I think you've got a friendly, we're recording this podcast um, today which is Wednesday and you've got a friendly tonight, Sydney United against the Hills Brumbies?
2: That's correct, Patrick Zwanswake and the Hills Brumbies and right. we'll s- see what they've got on a nice Wednesday winter's night out at Adenza Park but uh, at the moment it's fantastic, the second pre-season has been brilliant, we've lost a couple of players to the A-League. Uh, Tell us about
0: is- that, break some news Spider.
2: Uh, Yanni Picardis is going to join Perth right. for for this hub. Uh, Patrick and Telmy has gone to Western United. Uh, we lost uh, Uskok as well.
0: Thomas Love Uskok. Thomas Love yep.
2: Uskok just before the uh, season started to Western United. So it's fantastic for these guys, and that, that's what the the MPL is all about: developing these players and giving them the opportunity to go to the A League.
0: Absolutely. Okay. Um, so let's get on with the show, and what a lot we've got to get through. The resumption of the A League season, of course, just around the corner. And since we last played competitive football, of course, Australia and New Zealand have secured a Women's World Cup for this part of the world. They are just two of the topics of our opening segment, entitled Hard Talk. Yes, lots of big issues to get through. And uh, we'll kick off with the fact that, of course, the A-League season is back. Starts on Friday night, Sydney FC against Wellington Phoenix. Uh, a new TV deal in place, reduced in length and income. Is that a win for the game or merely a Band-Aid? Discuss. Craig Moore, you're up first.
3: Look, I actually think it's both. I, I think it is a, a short-term win for the game because, look, we needed uh, some finances to to be there for the league to continue the, this season and, more importantly, in, in the short term of next season securing... Uh, that deal was, was very important. But it is a Band-Aid solution. Um, I believe that the, the future uh, is definitely you know going to be looking way down the lines of the OTT streaming, uh, potentially the FFA having a stake. Um, obviously, and you
0: push that, Maury, as part of the Golden Generation as well.
3: Uh, look, I think it's very important, Simon, and we'll touch on a, a few other things throughout the podcast, but when you actually control and drive your own content and you own that, I think it's very, very powerful. So I think that's going to be um, certainly a part of what the future will look like. Um, you know, whether or not Fox Sports will be involved longer term, I think the, the, the signs that we've seen most recently would suggest that's not to be the case. So I, I think just to summarise that, it's a short-term win. Um, yes, it is a Band-Aid solution, but we now have a lead-in
0: time to come up with other solutions. Spider, I don't know if you agree with that. So I guess what a lot of people feel in the football community is uh, there was a long break before the resumption was announced uh, of the A-League, the fact that we were going to finish the season. And, of course, that was dependent upon this new TV broadcast deal being agreed. Uh, You know, the game is clearly overly dependent on one big paymaster, isn't it? That has to change.
2: Yeah, and look, that, that was scary, what was happening. It was almost... We were being held to ransom by Fox. And Fox was doing their best to save as much money as they could. And I get all that. Everyone's in the game to save as much money, get the best deal they can. But I think to hold the game at ransom for the way they did, uh, to get the outcome that we got, I think, like Maury says, is a band-aid situation. But I think everyone's come to to the party in some sort of way and helped. Uh, we, we can slag Fox, but I think at the end of the day, they've again put in some money that's actually going to give us the opportunity to get our... Ship put together, and actually get everything in place in a year's time.
0: And it took two minutes to get the first swear word in the podcast. That's fantastic. Well done, Spider. You
2: get the, you get the swear
0: job for this week. Um, in terms of that future, um, James Johnson, of course, the new FFA CEO, well, he's been there a few months now, has put together uh, his first big paper, which is the 11 Principles um, my question for you, Craig: wish list or real plan for progress? Because my issue with this is, and I think we all agree that everything in that paper is right, but mm. there are no timelines, and crucially, there's very little detail on on how it's going to be funding uh, funded. Yeah. Are you are you on that sort of page as well?
3: Yeah. Look, Simon. For, for me, I mean, I look at the the eleven principles and. It, you know it does cover the the broad uh, side of, of, of the whole of the game in fact um uh, for me it's a little bit of a a long drawn out read um you know obviously there's a, there's an element of marketing and pr behind it because every principal um you know the survey's been sent out to get feedback so look for me the main points and we touched on them 3 or 4 months ago with the golden generation was to to be able to align football um to, to have a national second division to review the transfer system and the salary cap, um, reduce cost of the game. Um, a home of football also is, is very, very important. Imagine we had a home of football uh, that had residents um, and, and the current situation, what we've just had, trying to mel- move the people from Melbourne to Sydney. If we've got a home, home of football, there's a saving of expenses there as well. Whether they got to Sydney or not, that's another situation.
2: Yeah, that's true, Maury, and I, I think I mean we, we've got those things in place here. Uh, we've got Parkley, but it's been around for forever and it's not modernised. I, I know a lot of the Japanese and Korean sides come here, but it's it's not a modern facility. It's not somewhere that you know realistically you would come and prepare for matches. Yeah, pre-season maybe. My my biggest concern in all this is I I, I think it's too clouded. There, there's no timelines of when something's going to start, and this is the thing we, in football that drives me insane, is that we don't know when something is going to happen. Like this uh, wish list that we've all put out, it's for me another piece of paper that we've read a million times over. It came out, we had the Crawford report and we had this report and we had that report. But I don't see things happening. I I actually want to see things happening. And that's that's why I think it's great that the golden generation has got involved because the more voices we have, the clearer the picture can be. Then we just need the right leaders to push and say, this is what's happening. This is what we have to do, and do it. Time is of the essence. We need times and start dates. When is this going to happen?
0: I want to pick up on that uh, theme on voices in just a moment. Um, but you're right. I mean, the, the whole of football plan came out in 2015. That was five years ago and, and contained a lot of these self-same principles, if you like, that, that we're seeing today. And yet, what happened to that? It was a lovely document when it came out. I think it was my journalistic colleague, Tom Smithies, who famously coined the phrase, not so much as a roadmap to the future, but a postcard. Um, And it was, because there was no detail. And and still, we wait for that detail. It's difficult. We wish James Johnson well. Personally, I think he's the right man
2: for the job. I don't know if you agree, both of you. What uh, what contact we've had with James, he's been fantastic so far. But he doesn't realise, uh, he probably does realise... The political power in football is scary. Like, we are so different to every other sport. The political power here and the egos that are driven in football is something that has to change. And if he has the power and if he's the right leader and if he can make these things happen, he will change the structure of the game. Someone needs to try.
3: And just on that spider, uh, I think James is doing a, a very good job and I have no doubt that he will do moving forward. But... It is so important that he gets the right people around about him. Mm. We, yep. need, we, we need strong people, Simon. We need strong people in the game that, um, unfortunately, will say things that, that maybe people don't want to hear, but it's going to take our game forward.
2: Mate, it doesn't matter that people don't want to hear it, Maury. This is the thing. It's, it's not important. It, what is the best thing for the game? That's 100%. what's important. Well, leading on from that is uh, a very nice segue
0: into uh, the next topic, which is the decline of those voices in football. I mean, the football media landscape, gentlemen, which is one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast, Mm -hmm. over the last couple of years, and particularly the last couple of months, has been utterly decimated. I'm one of those victims as well, um, but there are others, uh, lots of others. Tom Smithies has uh, uh, moved on. Val Migliaccio, Marco Monteverdi, David Davutovic, uh, Ray Gatz, um, Emma Kemp, Daniel Garb, Carly Adno, Sebastian Hassett, David Corran, Jesse Fink. I mean, th- this list goes on. And before that, we even get to you know Les Murray and Mike Cockrell, who are uh, sadly, of course, no longer with us. Craig Foster is off doing other things. Where are the voices
2: for football in this country? Well, Where this are is they? The, but this is the media stream as well. And again, this is only what I see. I'm no expert in this, but you know I've done a lot of work for SBS. So when I was working at SBS, there was Fox, so there was two sets of opinions. So people could choose what they wanted to watch. All of a sudden, SBS stopped doing football. We had one voice. And then when you only have one voice, everyone thinks that that's, that's the only thing that is real. It's not mm. true, mm. because the game is about opinions.
0: To be yeah. fair to SBS, I would say that they do still do football. Um, you know, they still have the world game. Lucy Zelich and Nick Stoll, of course, uh, work on that amongst others. Uh, and there are some mainstream journalists less. Vince Rigari, Don Bossi, and Mick Lynch down in, in Melbourne and, and probably one or two others that I've forgotten. But the, the general theme, Maury, is true, that the game uh, has lost a lot of its voices. And really, that's a reflection on its failure to penetrate the mainstream on a regular basis, isn't it? Yeah.
3: Uh, definitely. Uh, look... We thrive as a football nation in terms of all parts of the business when we've got a good product, right? Unfortunately, because our product has been on the the decline uh, and there hasn't been the the interest in the A-League in in recent months, years, in fact, um, therefore we all all suffer, Simon. We all suffer because, um, you know, people in the media and all that sort of stuff then aren't really getting the opportunity to to maybe get behind and, and voice their opinions, Again, the future um, will probably look a little bit more like... You remember Spides in, in the UK, Sky Sports, and they they, they have the journos sitting yep. around a, a table on a Sunday morning and, and the newspapers are out and they're going through all the, the, the matches of the weekend and the talking points within the clubs. I yep. think it's a great opportunity for segments and programs like that, Simon. Um, mm. I don't pick up a newspaper anymore, if I'm being honest. I get mm. all my information online.
0: Yeah, I think everybody is, is pretty much the same. We are moving towards that digital landscape. And, uh, you know, football has the chance to trailblaze, doesn't it? With the other codes, let's be honest, they, they've been locked into long-term deals with with Fox Sports uh, and other networks as well. So football has a great opportunity. Um, let's move on and talk a little bit about uh, the actual resumption of the season uh, of course, as you uh, hinted at, Maury, we very nearly didn't get there with the, the, the travel debacle surrounding the three Victorian teams, which uh, very nearly stymied the resumption of, of the competition. Um, yeah. Greg O'Rourke seems to have worn an awful lot of the heat mm-hmm. uh, for uh, those problems. Is that fair or is, is he just a, a victim of circumstance, in your opinion?
3: <laughs> look I've heard two different stories. Uh, one is a scapegoat uh, what what I see is that Greg O'Rourke is the the head of the the A league um I'm still a little bit confused actually with the the whole separation side of things that, that mm. are they uh, you know that has that happened yet and therefore if Not yet, happened, as far as I'm aware yeah, so I, I know that James Johnson kind of distanced himself uh, away from that to let the clubs and and, and Greg O'Rourke come to um uh, the, the right decisions there. We, we didn't make the right decisions. Um, you know, when you, you look at the NRL, the AF, AFL, the supercars, a week in advance had already uh, got themselves out of Melbourne. Of course, there's a financial component to this, but when you've got a, um, a restart of your league that commercially has been suffering, you just can't afford to get decisions wrong. And Greg O'Rourke, uh, I think, in this particular situation is the, the fall guy. He is the, the person that is in control of the, the A-League. Western United, I believe, wanted to get out on the Saturday morning, um, but they weren't, or they felt as if they weren't being listened to. So, look, it's a tough situation, but eventually, and I've spoken to a couple of people, When third time when the teams did get out, it was done to an unbelievable level, and, and the professionalism that was expected
2: I think that was James Johnson cleaning up the mess. Yeah, well, mate, for me, three times, that's three strikes and you're out. And in a situation like this, how is it possible, Maury, that the other codes left Victoria a week before? Why does the A-League, why do football, why are we always the last ones? We waited till the deadline to get out. Was that not finances, though, Spider? Yeah, you man, know, it's we're always not, we're finances.
0: Not as, well, of course, but we're not as yeah. rich as as the other codes. And clearly, that you know, the game does need to save money. And I think they... Uh, From what I'm led to believe, you know, that they took advice from the government and and at that stage the advice was, no, 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 everything's okay, we're not going to close the border, are you sure? Yeah, yeah, no, you know, you're all okay. And then obviously circumstances overtook them. I'm not saying that they should not have foreseen that, but I think given the financial constraints on the competition, I think that's probably one of the reasons they delayed. I'm not saying that's right, but I think
2: that's the reality. If you see a volcano about to erupt and everyone and everyone leaving, (laughs) why would you stay? So yeah. all the other codes left a week before. They knew what was happening. Mm. How is it possible that it's only okay for the A-League clubs to stay there? But yet Melbourne Storm got out of there. All the AFL teams got... Come, come on, guys. They're, they're taking the mickey out of us. And we, we're actually not helping ourselves. Because a decision should have been made. And you know what? Yes, it is finance. It probably is finances Because I don't know where the guys are staying at the moment here in Sydney. But I heard that they're staying at Narrabeen. Like, seriously, Narrabeen. That is for under-12s football. And these are professional footballers that are coming to perform at the highest level. <laughs> They're staying at Narrabeen. Uh, mate, I'm, I'm lost for words.
0: But, but this is where we're at, isn't it, as, as a code? Because we we we've struggled for money. And you know, this, again, is a reflection. We talked about the, 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 the loss of football media uh, personnel. This, again, is a reflection of where we're at as a sport. And if anything, Maury, this should be a, a big wake-up call that over the next 12 months... We have to resolve these problems. We 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 can't be in this situation in 12 months. Obviously, nobody could foresee COVID. That's you know a yeah. unique occurrence. But uh, you know it's it's if anything, it's highlighted where we're at as a sport. Do you agree?
3: No, no, very much so. Look, and I and I know that the, the FFA and I know that the A League clubs are looking for uh, solutions moving forward in terms of what the future of football can look like, uh, and that that is very very important. But we unfortunately continue to find ourselves having to, to deal with, with negative media on our game that always makes it hard for us. I mean, with we, the we restart of the A-League, we should be really excited. I'm actually excited by it, but it's the, the damage that's done leading into uh, that, that particular restart. And that's why I think it was uh, quite a, a huge error But the, com- the commercial risk potentially of um, that negativity and that media... And, you know, that can put you in a position where you just can't recover, Simon. So we can't, there's certain decisions, I understand finances play a role, but there's certain decisions you just cannot get wrong. And this was one of them.
0: Okay, well, let's talk about some of the positives then, because uh, we do actually have some football to watch come Friday night, which is great, if nothing else. Um, We've heard in uh, the the, the space since we last uh, played football competitively in this country that The likes of Robbie Fowler won't be returning. Ola Teuvenen is not coming back. Diego Castro has pulled out of the resumption of the season for health reasons. Panayotis Kone has left Western United. Markel Susayeta has gone back to Spain for family reasons. Now, there's an awful lot of big stars have left the competition, but I want to ask you, you know, a lot of people in this country believe that the A-League should be about giving opportunities to young players. Now, Spider, you just said, you know, two of your players, Patrick Antelmi and Yanni Pekatis, sorry, three of your young players... uh, are going to get opportunities
2: in the A-League on the back of this. That's
0: got to be a good thing, hasn't it? For I, next think, I think it's
2: excellent. I think it's excellent. And you know what? This actually shows... and Again, this shows a bit of loyalty as well. Because I know the players in the A-League have taken a cut. And these guys, as far as I'm concerned, that have decided not to play because of the financial reasons, maybe if I was in charge, they wouldn't be playing for me next year. Because, you know what? Everyone collectively has taken a hit. So it's two months of your life to actually play for the supporters, for the game, for everything. And that, again, shows to me what happens a lot in football is a lot of selfishness. And, again, going back on what you were saying about the A-League, I I think this is fantastic because young players will get an opportunity. Australian players will get an opportunity. And the beauty is we get to finish a league like they did all over the world. Maureen?
3: Yeah, Yeah, look, I mean, I think it's uh, the fifth principle uh, in terms of more football minutes for, for, for youth players in the pathway. I think this is a wonderful opportunity for the the younger players that will be involved in, in these first team squads. Now there's a schedule that uh, certainly our squads are are not capable of, of of handling in terms of the amount of games in a short space of time. So every player that is involved in that first team squad will experience minutes. And the great thing about that is that this next four to six weeks, we're going to be talking about players that we haven't seen that much of. uh, And I'm sure there's going to be a few real positive signs there. And I think that's great. Um, They've got to earn that right, the younger players. It's not not just about playing younger players. You need to earn that right in the way that you train and prepare and then the opportunity should come. But I think we're going to be talking about a few younger players that have come in
2: and made a a really nice impact in this next four to six weeks. And the other thing, Maury, this is going to actually be really a, a good opportunity for the coaches to show their ability as well because you've got a lot of games in a small space of time and mm-hmm. rotating your squads, keeping your players fit, not getting injuries. This is going to be a key factor into who's going to win the competition.
3: Yeah, and plus and plus you've also got a couple of uh, interim coaches. Uh, so it'll be interesting to to see Spides, what those clubs are looking to do because they you know surely you would you would be looking to try and find out who potentially is going to be okay for you next season or can you look at players now so that you can get an idea of whether or not there's somebody that's going to be in your plans for next season and that's the teams that I'm talking about potentially down the the bottom part of the the ladder that don't have a chance to get to the final series. I
0: also want to ask you guys about um, the next season Um, we'll talk about the, the upcoming games in just a moment but uh, the next season, of course, is going to start in December. We're going to play mm-hmm. December to July, which is an interesting shift in terms of the calendar. We know that James Johnson
2: is, is keen on experimenting with this winter season. W- w- where do you sit on this, Spider? I'm happy with it. Uh, I, I think it's fantastic for the for the one thing that the Golden Generation align the seasons. Because th- the key points are to align the seasons to get these MPL clubs to be able to produce players to go into the A-League, and that the A-League clubs have to pay for them. That the that the food chain, everyone gets fed. So if these NPL clubs are producing players and the A-League clubs don't take them for free, and that's what's been happening forever. Like this, the food chain, money keeps going around and football keeps prospering. And it opens it up
0: potentially towards a national second division and a promotional I relegation I think that in. That, that yeah. would
2: be the thing that I would bring in now in December as well because mm. I, I think that's a must as well.
0: Maury, the, the naysayers say, well, you're going to go head-to-head with Aussie rules and rugby league. You're going to get no media space. The pitches are going to be poor. You're going to be competing for fans not only with those codes but also the MPL clubs that are playing at the same time and it will just never work. What's your take?
3: Uh, but the majority of the, the, the things that you mentioned there, I don't really care about. If I'm being honest, <laughs> I, I care about um, the the football. Uh, our competition, Simon, in terms of mm. I don't compete. I don't look at competing with the other sports here in Australia. Mm. We know we know football. Our competition is to the rest of the other football countries in the world to, to show where we're, where where we we sort of like, we sit in that food chain, to give our players the the best op- opportunity. and and that's why it is so important in terms of the whole of football in this country is aligned and playing at the same time. Mm. Asian Confederation, yeah, of course, that that, that makes so much sense. We still want to see our players being able to go to, to Europe, which is normally transfer window of June, July. Our players are protected at that time, which then gives clubs an opportunity to chase a decent transfer fee that can come back in and feed those clubs, and away you go again.
0: Okay, let's uh, wrap up this little section by uh, uh, looking ahead to what's coming up over the next few days. As we say, the season kicks off or resumes on Friday, Sydney FC against uh, Wellington Phoenix. In fact, Sydney FC could wrap up the Premiership as, as soon as Tuesday if they can beat the Knicks and then win again. Uh, in their next game on Tuesday night. Can you see anybody uh, taking the... Well, I think we think the premiership is pretty much done, but uh, Sydney the hot favourites for the Championship itself, Spider?
2: That have to be, uh, especially with the way that everything's been set up and their squad's a full list of squad, so they haven't changed anyone. So for for me, there's four teams that can win it, realistically, because the ones that haven't changed their players or haven't lost players, Sydney... Wellington, I watched the other day. Fantastic. Uh, that'll be a great game, actually, to start mm. the season off, Sydney and Wellington. Uh, Western United and Melbourne City, are, for me, are the four teams that can probably win it because they've had minimal changes to their roster. Maury?
3: I struggle to see uh, a team outside of Sydney um, that, that, that can achieve anything this season. Sydney, for me, have been the uh, the benchmark yet again. and They've been so consistent. I think Steve Corica has done a, a wonderful job there. And um, I expect them to to go on with the job and, and not only uh, you know, win the minor premiership, but but to win the, the grand final as well.
0: OK, and probably realistic enough to say that there's just one final spot remaining. I think uh, top four or five are pretty much done and dusted. It's probably a race between four clubs for that sixth spot, Western United, Adelaide United, Western Sydney Wanderers and the Newcastle Jets. So, uh, sort of my final question in this segment is about the Newcastle Jets. Interesting to see that Martin Lee has been threatened with having his license withdrawn, and the FFA is saying, "Look, you know, you, you've got to live up to your commitments. You actually have to invest in your football club." What's your take on this? I mean, you know, should the FFA be be leaning heavily on these guys if they're just, I think D- David Gallup famously called it squatting on a license?
2: Yeah, but it's a hard one, ain't it? Because. Uh, if they don't have the money yeah. to actually pay for the debts and pay the players and pay the club to keep it running, it's easy to say, okay, someone else come in and buy it. But the cost of an A-League club is actually ridiculous for what you're getting. To be paying 15 million or you know Western United, I think paid. But they 19 knew what million. they were getting into, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, no, But it, it makes no sense. <laughs> like, why would you be buying into a club for that kind of money? It's it, it's almost like robbery. Putting the balaclava on and not going to jail, mate. It's it's crazy money.
3: <laughs> but but spiders so I was a when I was working at Brisbane Raw, and uh, when I seen seen this part of the segment, I'd, I'd not not a chuckle, but I kind of some experience of that. So we had a lot of challenges at Brisbane Raw, and it must have been five or six times where the FFA had threatened this particular situation. Unless you actually do something, spider Simon. Unless you actually do something, that's all it is. It's a threat. Um, and I, I expect this situation to be exactly the same because I know that Newcastle Jets are not the only club that are struggling financially, and we also know that the FFA is struggling financially. So they should get, they actually should get their license taken off them if they're not able to fund the club, the club properly and run uh, the, the, the football club as a professional entity.
2: But that's but right, Maury. No, but it but it who's going to come in and take it? That's that, who's going to come in and take it. So yeah, take take his license away, no problem. Okay. So what does Newcastle cost? If you sell it for one million, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe someone comes in and buys it. Maybe a businessman actually comes, buys it, sets it up properly and runs it properly. But yeah. for fifteen million, mate, no chance in the world, mate. You've got to have rocks in your head to buy a league franchise for fifteen million. Sorry, yeah, well, Western United. You paid 19 million. Yeah, but, but but but
0: but
3: Laurie's obviously having discussions with potentially yes. investors. We also got to uh, you know say that, Spice. But I agree with what you're saying. If you're spending 10 or 15 million dollars uh, for a club here in Australia, where you actually don't own anything other than the players,
2: and you lose but, money every year,
3: but we don't actually uh, manage to sell those players, you can pick up far better business opportunities clubs in Europe for a lot less
0: okay <clears throat> all things that uh, the FFA have to look at and it's a pretty long list isn't it but uh, that was a pretty good discussion I think on all things domestic let's move on and look at football overseas
3: to the towns. Now war is declared and battle come down London-
0: Ah, the wonderful tones of the clash all the way back in the 70s, I think it was, with London Calling. Brilliant tune. Let's talk a bit about overseas football and uh, the big news of the week, hence why I'm wearing my Manchester City jersey today is that city have had their champions league ban overturned what a shock what a, shock. What a shock by the court of arbitration for sport come on city come on city <laughs> what a shock that what's, was uh, Mate, it was never in doubt <laughs> what's your take on all this boys and uh, i suppose there's a bigger picture question spider is financial fair play dead in the water on the back
2: of this or is it merely due a reboot no it is it's dead in the water and at the end of the day, what'd they spend a couple of hundred thousand over? <laughs> 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 might have been a, a touch more than <laughs> it that. Might have been yeah, a touch yeah. more than that. Yeah. Look, it's a difficult one. Look, this this fair play thing, I don't, I don't really know how it works 100% to tell you the truth. But I, I think it's great that Man City can play in the Champions League. Because Let me tell you. A it's great a, team like that.
0: It's a dud. Financial fair play is a dud. And everybody will say, oh, yeah, well you will say that because you're yeah, a Man yeah, City yeah. fan. Yeah. But financial fair play was brought in for the right reasons many years ago. It was to try and prevent (coughs) clubs from going bankrupt. That was a a laudable aim. But it's been twisted around so that you cannot invest in your own business, essentially. Mm. It's all a proportion of your revenues. Now, who does that protect? Well, strangely enough, the old G14 clubs. Michel Platini admitted this in an interview he did with Martin Samuel of the Daily Mail all the way back in 2013 or 14, I think it was, where he said, look, you know, we we had to protect the club's revenues because that was a a caveat to the disbanding of the G14 because their threat was, if you don't do this, we'll go off and form a European Super League. So the whole premise of financial fair play, and Gary Neville, if you go online... And search Gary Neville on Twitter or or YouTube. He does a fantastic interview on Sky Sports where he explains all of this in in perfect detail. Financial fair play is a turkey. It's there to protect the big, old-moneyed clubs of Europe, to prevent the likes of Man City, Chelsea, Paris Saint-Germain from stealing in through the back door and taking all that Champions League money away from them. That's what it was put in to protect, their revenues. So I think this is wrong. Having said that, even as a City fan... I'm uncomfortable with the way this has all been handled. And let me tell you, I think City are as guilty as everybody else in attempting to pull up the drawbridge once they're in the big, yeah, the but, big boys but club clear. as well. It's
2: we clear, we can all see that, yeah. but uh, big, it's actually sad to see big clubs like that. Could you imagine the Champions League without a Real Madrid, Man City, Man United, yeah. Barcelona? It's, it's not a Champions League anymore. Maury, what's your take on this? Yeah, I'm a little bit like you, Simon. I mean... Um,
3: Financial fair play, like it says, you're you're not meant to spend more than what you generate as a football club. Mm. Um, so Man City have broken the rules, and they've they have, they've, and they've now got themselves in a position where they got that a 10 million pound fine. Um, thanks very much. Move on. So FFP is dead in the water mm. if that's if that's the situation because that was the opportunity to, to once again lead by example or, or, or make a. An example of a club that's done the wrong thing. That yep. that, ha- that hasn't happened. Politics City, look, has
2: played a part again. I'd say somewhere sports. in there.
3: But but again, Man City in terms of I've got no issue with it. I'm not a Man City supporter. Um, look, Man City being able to um, continue to to d- develop or oh, saying that they don't develop that much, do they, Simon? <laughs> uh, their the, the, the players but you know like we're still going to see great players great teams well, and, and Phil Foden
0: is, is one who you'll see Phil next Foden season once uh, David that. Silver leaves I, I think to be honest, just to sort of wrap this particular question up I, I mean I've said this for years I think the solution to this is quite simple alright UEFA says all the Champions League money that is earned through TV revenues etc etc goes direct to the National Football Associations for redistribution as they see fit Maybe the big clubs get a bit more of it, but it's to be redistributed down all the way to grassroots if necessary. But of course, the big clubs won't wear that. Then they'll go off and form their European Super League. And that's the crux of the issue here. Anyway, City are in for the next uh, two seasons. Um, It's certainly not gone down well with either Jose Mourinho or Jurgen Klopp, who said it's a bad day for football. Pep Guardiola disagrees. I'm sure you've got your own uh, views on that at home. Um, in terms of the resumption of the Premier League season, it's been back going for uh, a few weeks now. W- was that the right decision to resume with the empty stadiums and, and the canned crowd noise? Is it unfair on the teams, particularly at the bottom of the table, who are fighting against relegation, not to have that home ground advantage
2: in terms of their home support, Spider? Oh, look, it's, it's a massive difference between playing without supporters and supporters. Uh, I've watched a lot of the games, like everyone has. We're all excited. I think it's fantastic that they played, because football's back out there. I just think the games are a little bit stale because they seem to be training games. So you know, when you play at a, you go to a dungeon of a stadium, and you know it's going to be it's going to be difficult to get a result. <laughs> what was the, the crowds... mo- What was the most difficult stadium you ever played? Oh, at? I've been to some dungeons, mate. Seriously, <laughs> mate, I, I played in one in Italy uh, at Messina. Right. Oh, mate, seriously.
0: <laughs> who, who gave you the worst abuse? Because goalkeepers... Oh, no, no,
2: we, we copped it. Uh, had a derby, Perugia, against uh, Ternana. They hated each other. And I mean hated each other. And the, we arrived at the gate to go into the ground, and the gate was locked. Our bus got pelted. Pelted <laughs> glass smashed everywhere, we were lying on the ground in the bus. We finally get in, and I tell you, it was a dungeon of a joint. But we won two 0 <laughs> You kept a clean sheet. <laughs> we won two 0
0: Fantastic, Maury, What was what was the worst sledge you ever copped from a fan or even a player?
3: Uh, I mean, I, I well, one majority. that you can repeat, obviously. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I need to change the the language a little bit. But <laughs> you, you, you Aussie such and such. I mean, you know, or, or, or you're a sheep shagger. <laughs> I don't know. That. That's, <laughs> yeah. that, that's not that, that's not our country. Like when I was in Scotland, I mean, it's just part of the part of the banter or sometimes when you when you are playing a, at smaller
2: i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't
3: actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. playgrounds where they're a little bit closer to the action. Yeah, you, you do hear a few uh, choice words and, and choice sayings, but it's, not, it's never been one thing that that I've kind of, focused on you know i kind of used to just have a, a little wry smile on my face and try to wind them up a little bit um, you didn't
0: even copy from celtic supporters when you were at rangers you must have done
3: i think uh, i don't know eventually of course um but, but i think celtic were probably happy with me my old firm debut i scored an own goal um, <laughs> which which i really don't know how i recovered spines because you, you know the rivalry um had a good game, but scored an own goal, and we lost
2: three 0 What a bloody start! Yeah, well, you didn't get dental on it. on it. on it. on it. it. I used to get that constant. I go, mate. Yeah, go home. We just won three points. You dental on it all you want.
0: Um, back to the Premier League. Uh, Liverpool obviously are the champions, deservedly so. Ugh, that hurt to say. Um, they could still break Man City's one hundred point record. They've won the FIFA Club World Cup. Um, they are the best team in the world at the moment. I think that's yeah. pretty much official. Could they go on and, and establish a dynasty and become, you know, one of the best ever? They certainly are this season.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, you look at will. will they get to one hundred points, Simon? I, I don't know. They're on ninety-three points now, and they've got, I think, Arsenal Thursday um, away. They've got Chelsea at home and Newcastle are away. So I think that they'll they'll win against Arsenal and the last game of the season against Newcastle. But I think Chelsea will get something. Um, but you look at you look at this team and and what Klopp has done. His recruitment has has been unbelievable. You know I think defensively Liverpool were were still a little bit soft down the centre, but the the signing of Alice Allison, you know, the goalkeeper Spider, and yeah. and, and, and Van Dijk, um, they they were massive massive signings um, for Klopp. And and really turned Liverpool around. I mean, they got fantastic fullbacks. Um, you know, two of the best young fullbacks potentially in the world,
0: Alexander uh, Arnold and Robertson. Yeah,
3: yeah, fantastic. And then you look at their you look at their front three Mane, uh, Salah, and Firmino. Uh, they, they're just and they're led by you know. he probably doesn't take a lot of credit, but Henderson's done a fantastic job as well.
2: Hmm. I think his recruiting's been unbelievable. Yeah, like seriously. I take my hat off to him because the way he, his team played at Dortmund to actually think that he was going to come to Liverpool and actually play that same brand of football without actually overspending it was it was pretty scary. Mm, mm. Uh, but I don't think their squad's that deep, Maury. You know, they have a couple of injuries, uh, and at the moment they're all at the right age. They don't have any old players. They're all in, like in their peak, like 24s, 25, 26, you know, peak years of their their footballing careers. Mm. But I'm not sure they'll get to 100 points because the way the season's gone, the way everyone's tapered off a little bit, uh, they seem to be happy to take... They drew with Burnley the other day, which was uh, one that hurt, hurt them. You know, had they beat Burnley, I would have said, mm, possible. Now, I'm not so sure.
0: Well, they've certainly uh, laid down the gauntlet for Man City and and the rest of the teams next season. Um, One other issue I wanted to uh, touch on in England is the seeming rise of race, it's not just in England, it's, it's across the world at the moment, isn't it, let's be honest, and you know, in, in broader political terms, we're having the, the Black Lives Matter movement, which is, has, you know, resonated with a lot of people. Uh, there were some stuff tweeted by Wilfred Zaha, the Crystal Palace winger, a, a day or two ago. I don't know whether you, you saw all that stuff. It was, it was pretty nasty. And I, you know, I grew up in England in the '80s when racism towards footballers was pretty prevalent. To be honest, mm-hmm. I thought we'd we'd long since left that behind. But it seems to be. You know, re-emerging, doesn't it? Almost through the soil. I don't know why. Did you ever experience some of that? You know, maybe not personally, but did you ever experience that during your playing days? And and what can we do to get rid of it again?
2: I've a, I've actually seen it uh, in certain matches in Italy. Italy was yeah. pretty bad for it, to be honest with you. Uh, but you can't control individual idiots. And that's what they are. Individual idiots. Uh, the major majority of people are doing the right thing, but when one idiot starts doing something and starts racially abusing someone, what do you do? Someone else comes over, knocks him out, starts starts an all in all in brawl, and these are the things that are happening. It's only isolated incidents where individual idiots are doing this stuff.
3: Maury, yeah, your take? But, yeah, but spies, this was this was a twelve year old boy. Yeah, but where's it coming? Where's it coming comi- from, eh? Hey? Of course so so what what Wilfred Zaha has said, we need action, we need education things need to change hmm. um, and i couldn't i couldn't agree more i mean look we we come from a very multi cultural country Spides. I mean yeah. so we we grew, we grew up or I grew up you know being being called Skippy, yeah you know because the the Aussie boy that was involved in football I was surrounded by a lot of the the european and migrants and and kind of I've had that experience and for me you always treat people the way that you'd be you, you, the way you would expect them to treat you.
2: Yeah, So you know, that, isn't it? It really, it,
3: it, it really is as as simple as that. And we, we you know we should be embracing that. I mean that we're still having issues and that there's, there's still such poor education and awareness around about this topic today. Um, for me, is 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 really appalling. It really is.
0: Yeah. I'll just add one thing to that uh, on, on this particular topic. Two years ago, I did a, a co-hosted um, a, a panel chat in London, which had uh, Louis Saha, the former uh, yeah. French international, <coughs> on the panel. And, and one of the questions I put to him, and he didn't know this, that FIFA had actually, that year, which was 2018... They'd ended their kick racism out program at the time, saying that racism was basically no longer an issue oh, in well. football. You know, ah. the, the war's been won, sort of thing. Well. Yeah. And when I, when I put that to him, I mean, his jaw literally dropped and said, Are you serious? Um, yeah. And what's happened, obviously, in the interim has, has proven that it is no way, it's a long way from being won. Anyway, yeah. I, th- I think FIFA and, and perhaps UEFA and all the other confederations could take a lead in this. Interesting topic. Let's move on and talk a little bit about um, some Aussies abroad guys to finish off this particular segment. And then we've got some Twitter questions. Um, First of all, Mila Yedinac has announced his retirement from playing. Uh, We last saw him, obviously, with Aston Villa. He hasn't played for about 12 months. 79 caps for the national team. Three World Cups, two as captain. Um, Just some overall thoughts on Mila and his impact on the game
2: here. Fantastic career. Uh, that Miele shows to every person and every player out there that dedication can get you to the top because that's the type of player he was. He was a fantastic leader, great person, worked hard uh, to achieve what he'd done. And uh, congratulations to, to Miele. I'm surprised that someone didn't pick him up, especially in the dogfight in the championship, to maybe help get out of relegation because he's the kind of person you want in the dressing room when there's a dogfight. But uh, great career. Well done, Miele.
0: There was talking of him coming back to play in the A-League, of course, as well with MacArthur. Yeah. But that It'd be crazy to come to, back to here because,
2: you know, we're so cynical here. Uh, mate, we seem to want to just slag everyone and as soon as they mm. come back. These guys are not coming back at their best. And for Miele to come back uh, and play in the A-League at the level that he's probably at now, it wouldn't be worth uh, it.
3: He has nothing to, to gain here, Spider. And, and an interesting point uh, I would like to make is... Um, you know, we've complained about it a little bit uh, in, in the past. Uh, Spides. who has approached uh, Mila Yedinak? Because he's, you've touched on his career, and I, I, you know, I totally agree with that. What a what a sensational career he went on to to have. But have we reached out? I would like to think that maybe from someone from the FFA have, have kind of reached out and said, "Okay, well, is there something that you're actually um, interested in within the game? Is it coaching? Um, you know, is it about being a sporting director or technical director?" Where can we help you? And yeah. this is this is where we need to be better. That that conversation might have happened, Spider. I'm just saying that seems to be. I think Miller's,
2: be... Miller's plan is to. I, I caught up with Miller about six months ago. I think he's planning to stay in in England. I think he's uh, happy. He's still at Villa, coaching mm-hmm. somewhere in the academies. So I think he's planning to stay there. But you would hope that someone would reach out to him and. This is something that has to change in our game as well not not be scared of these guys with an opinion because seriously what a career you had and it actually does really show that dedication can actually get you to the top
0: absolutely have you reached out to get him as a part of the golden generation Maury
3: mate yeah we've reached out to uh, obviously quite a quite a number of people Simon like says the golden generation is is, some, is something that I would like to see the whole of football get behind because once we get the whole of football behind, it becomes very powerful mm. and, and we're able to, to achieve really good results for the game.
0: OK, good stuff. And congratulations again, Millet. Fantastic career. And hopefully you won't be lost to uh, the game of football in this country. Um, I want to move on and talk about John Van Skip's comments, uh, yeah. former Melbourne City coach, of course, uh, uh, now back uh, in Europe. Uh, talking about Daniel Arzani. He was quoted as saying he's wasted two years of his career going to Celtic and uh, revealed that he'd, he'd tried to sign him when he was coach of Peck Zwolle in the Netherlands uh, a couple of years ago, but he, he went to Scotland instead. Yeah. This, is, this is a big overarching question that we probably need a separate podcast on, but briefly, if you can, boys, do young players make the right sort of choices? We're obviously talking specifically about uh, Daniel here, but or should JVS simply keep quiet? No, I, discuss.
2: Like, I was at Melbourne City yep. when Arzani left. Hmm. I thought it was the wrong move. I thought it was the wrong move because I didn't think he would play. And at the end, he didn't play. Arzani was a good player who'd played six six months at Melbourne City as a part-time player. He, he wasn't uh, playing 90 minutes. He was still developing as a player. Should he have gone to Peck's Wally? He could have probably went to a better club than Peck Swallow, but he would have played matches, he would have developed as a player. Going to Celtic, Maury would know more than me. Celtic are playing for the championship, they ain't giving kids time to develop.
3: No, no chance, Spider. That's a really good point because obviously there's, there's history on the line in Scotland uh, with Celtic going for, or well, this season getting the nine in a row to equal Rangers' record, this season going for ten in a row. So young players are certainly not getting that opportunity. Let's, let's not forget that. Um, he, he had an injury, he had an ACL, so a year of that unfortunately was down to, to injury.
2: Very true. Very uh, true.
3: I've, I've no no issue whatsoever with Jean uh, Van Skip's comments because again, he's he's somebody that um, you know is passionate about younger players uh, making the most of their opportunities, spider, and, and turning into to good professional players. So yes. it's not a, it's not an easy decision um, in terms of where you eventually go, and sometimes you need a little bit of. Luck, but the 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 main reason for you wanting to go to any club must be to
0: play. <laughs> I think the I think the stat isn't it that's been off quoted is eighty percent of young Australian players that head overseas are back in the A League within twelve months because mm. they're not ready. Yeah, they're now that's not, happened, not to be fair. That's not happened to to Daniel Arzani as yeah. yet. But, but you, you know why, I think Simon? the general point remains.
3: Sorry, you know why? because there's an investment in the player. It's not a player that's gone on a free transfer. And, and, and again, so the moment that you're able to shift these players and money's involved, and you'll know this better than anyone, Spider, all of a sudden, I've been a, a young central defender and the club goes out and spends three or four million pounds on, a, on another central defender. Mate, he's going to get that many more opportunities than what, what I'm going to get because the club have invested in him.
0: Correct, yep. Okay. Let's finish off this uh, little segment. Now, we've said throughout that uh, we want to get the fans involved. This is your podcast. Um, we talk a lot in this country about player development, player pathways, coaching development, youth development. Uh, Nobody ever talks about fan development and getting fans into the stadiums or watching on TV. And I think that's our biggest problem, strangely enough. Uh, So we want to get you involved. We're greatly encouraged by the fact that uh, in the first 24 hours, we had over 700 people follow us on our Twitter page, which is great. So thank you so much for that. Hopefully that's going to grow and grow. We said we wanted your views. So we're going to throw in a couple of Twitter questions and there's a couple of beauties here. Uh, the first of all is, is from Cam Marshall, who says, What are the best chippies in, in world football around, around the globe? Well, let me tell you, Cam, I'll answer that one. Uh, the Blue Moon Chippy at Manchester City serves the best chips and gravy in Northern Why England. Why straight away, Manchester?
2: Because that's where I'm from, mate, son. Seriously, mate. What's your problem? Mate, I went to a joint in Grimsby. There you go. Mate, Maury, I've never seen anything like it in my life, mate. We we went down to Grimsby to play on uh, in the in the stiffs for Leicester.
0: Grimsby smells hey, we, a hey, well. Hey, we got
2: touched up as well. <laughs> mate. And then we had the sloppiest fish and chips I've oh. ever had in my life, mate. Let me tell you, they did not miss with the oil. Yeah.
0: That's perfect.
2: Oh, this is mate, best British cuisine. What's, mate, the, what's how's that, really? that for? Like after game preparation for your next match? Fish and chips. <laughs> wash it down with a VB, <laughs> son. <laughs> oh, VB v, v gives me a headache.
0: Maury, <laughs> when you were in when you were in Glasgow, where was the best place to to get your I don't know haggis and neeps? Uh, look, I went. I, I got
3: a I got an unbelievable Indian mate. Um, Top guy is Mister Mister Sadi, Mister Sings India in 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 the in the city centre. Everybody goes there. Everyone knows it. What a what a great guy. What a great restaurant. But in terms of chippy, Simon, mm. there was a particular chippy that was about um, uh, less than a mile outside the city centre. But I'd normally get there like three or four in the morning. That was right <laughs> <in the
2: way.
3: laughs> Spite. chips and cheese on the way home. How good!
0: Hundred <laughs> percent. It's it's great to hear of your professionalism when you were playing in the Scottish Premier League. That was or that or was a after league. a four nil win. <laughs> Who says the Scottish Premier League is a tough competition? Oh, um, and this one from Cam uh, Shimshek, I hope I pronounced that correctly, uh, Cam. I think this is this is a great um, suggestion for a segment. It, He says every week we should have a a segment on the podcast called Spider Shenanigans. Oh, Oh, great. What what Spider got up to during his playing career? I I want to hear one of your best
2: shenanigans, Spider. Off you go. Uh, Maury, you can join in, mate. Seriously. Maury, I I think you've got one. But well, I actually don't mind that segment. But I need to come more prepared because okay. I can get sued for a lot of the things that I could say. So well, we need to get you on Twitter first, so you can
0: actually read the damn. Questions. Hey, we're working on it. We're working on it. Sp-
2: Spides, let me let me ask you one because
3: I actually wasn't there at, at this <laughs> this particular time. But I heard that when our national team were were in Chile, um, <clears throat> obviously played a friendly. Uh, I'm sure that the boys had a few mouth fresheners tonight. Before or after the game?
2: Oh, after uh, the game, I would yeah. hope,
3: son. Right, and 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 then uh, the group are, are coming together for for checkout the following morning, and and in the lobby, um, apparently someone let let a little bit of naughty air. Uh, and, <laughs> air go, naughty and, air,
0: naughty
3: air. <laughs> uh, so, somebody's somebody's let a sneaky go, and uh, and Zelko Calat, six foot seven. Passes
2: out, goes down in installments. (laughs) (laughs) Mate, Maury, that's a true story. And you know, I I, I still had a drink on my hand. And when I hit the ground, the drink was still in my hand. After 10 uh. seconds, I'd come to my senses, got back uh. up, and continued drinking. So, is it, was uh. it the naughty air that did it? Yeah, it was the naughty <laughs> air that knocked me out. <laughs> uh, are, are we going to reveal the identity of the. Uh, I, I don't know who the culprit was. Oh, my God. <laughs> but let Brilliant. me tell you, Maury, it was like it was alcohol beverage. Mario. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Yeah,
0: we've got to make that a regular segment. Um, so, thanks very much for that question, Cam. Uh, keep them coming, guys and girls. Uh, we're going to move into our final segment entitled uh, Is Lives." Well, it's nearly three weeks now since Australia and New Zealand were awarded the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup, the biggest football tournament ever to hit these shores. We have three years of build-up. And three years of funding promised by government for football facilities and infrastructure long overdue. And I think everybody will agree, much needed. So who better to assess how this will affect not just women's football, but football in general in this country, than a former Matilda who won 130 caps for her country, appearing at three Women's World Cups, two Olympic Games and winning the 2010 Women's Asian Cup as well. On top of all that... She doesn't hold back on football issues, which is great. And that's why we're proud to have Heather up with us. Good to see you, Heather. How are you?
1: Yeah, great. How are you going, guys? What brilliant news for the 2023 World Cup.
0: Breath yeah, of the fresh abs- air. It's absolutely fantastic. And um, we're going to get onto that in just a moment. First of all, H, I want to ask you about your role with the starting 11 You're part of this uh, new body put together by the FFA. Uh, have you met yet? What, what are you doing? What's your brief?
1: Yeah, we have met. We've met several times. Um, In in fact, we've got another meeting this week, which is great. Um, The the initial meetings were just uh, our roles and responsibilities, uh, a lot of data and information uh, that's been uh, sent over to us. And I'm really looking forward to to this week's meeting, especially given that um, it's going to be the women's data as well. We've already seen the men's data and um, yeah look it's it's been quite good i, I can 't wait to to start to action the the things that we've we 've spoken about because you know me i 'm very impatient so once um, once we get into little uh, working groups or um, little committees for, for each subject, then um, we can start to work towards uh, you know making changes which is that 's what i 'm excited about is making changes
0: and in terms of those changes, what changes would you like to see? Uh, specifically for women's football, but, you know, football in general as well?
1: Yeah, I think um, I think I echo everybody's thoughts. I'd love to see a model that uh, everybody's on the same page from the head federation, which is FFA, uh, right down to the member federations and grassroots football. And we're all striving for the common goal of, of obviously football uh, to want to be at the forefront. Um, but yeah, having leadership from the top, I think, is extremely important. And I think there's no better person than a, than a former player like James to lead that. Um, he knows what it takes uh, to play at a national team level, but also from a gra- grassroots point of view as well. So um, I think that's, that's the first and foremost thing. We all need to get rid of the agendas and be, and do what's best for the game.
0: Easier said than done, though, age, isn't it? We all know that. Um, let, let's yeah, yeah, let's yeah. talk about the Women's World Cup um, in, in particular. Though. We've heard about you know, how great this is for sport in Australia, how great this is for the country. Let's get down to brass tax. We're a football podcast here. How great is this for football in this country?
1: I'm going to make a a really massive statement. I really think that this is the lifeline um, for football in Australia. Uh, I think we've been struggling for many years. Obviously, the Matildas have been a a breath of fresh air. And um, I would say uh, a momentous occasion, but also an occasion where we can really make a difference in people's lives. We can make a difference to the economy and we can make a difference to the football fraternity. And I I, I just think given that we've been gifted, uh, this World Cup, along with New Zealand, I think um, everybody uh, has to be excited for this. But we have to get it right. It's so important. Uh, we, can, we, can't, we, we can't not get it right.
2: Yeah, I, I love, uh, Heather, your enthusiasm. And this is what the show is all about. And this is what the game needs. People like yourself that are enthusiastic about change. Uh, I think the World Cup, I mean, listen to what I just said. We are hosting a World Cup. That is huge. Yeah, it's crazy. Huge. People don't understand how big that is. And being the women's game, and I've been lucky enough to be a part of Sydney FC, Wanderers and Melbourne City, and to actually see the way the game has developed, the women's game, and what the girls do to actually develop as players is fantastic. And this will give them an opportunity to grow. But you hit the nail on the head. We have to get it right. The game has to bond. We've got to forget about the egos. We've got to forget about the agendas. It has to bond as one. And it's got to go from the top all the way down to the bottom. And I think this is a huge opportunity to put that in place.
0: Is that a question or a statement, Spider?
2: Well, (laughs) both. Both. I think think it's great to to see someone like Heather who's got the enthusiasm. And, you know, we're sitting here and we're talking about making change and what can we do. But we all said the same thing. We need leadership.
0: Let me ask a specific question, Heather, about change. Um, There's so much to do for football in this country, as we know. That does include women's football. I want to ask you specifically about the top end of domestic football in this country, the W League. There hasn't been an awful lot of conversation about the W League since this Women's World Cup announcement. What needs to change in terms of of the elite club competition in this country, in your opinion?
1: Oh, we certainly need uh, an extended extended league. We can't just hold on to this this W League that goes for 12 games and um, want to work around the, the US or the NWSL, which we have done for so long. We can see our Matildas are all going to Europe, which is uh, fabulous because that's the best competitions in the world. But the W League needs to be played um, over, in my opinion, the winter um, to coincide with the, with the NPL and they could possibly be feeder clubs and the W League be showcased week in, week out. So you can um, have role models on show. Now, I know we don't have um, or we're not going to have the quality of the Matildas in the league, but you have to start somewhere. So we need to decide what do we want to be? That's the question. And how are we going to execute it? So maybe we've got to take a couple of steps back before we go forward. Um, but we need to build depth within, within our um Our Matildas, uh, we don't have that at the moment. We know that there's a core group of players that are exceptional, but who's coming through after? So I think there needs to be, uh, and this is something I'm super passionate about, there needs to be uh, a W League that's going to be competitive for the players, aspirational for the young players coming through. Um, But from my opinion, I think it needs to be a development league so we can then possibly uh, push, push the better players off to Europe and then showcase them in Europe and then they come back for their national teams so we've got the depth here in in Australia so uh, everybody else in Europe are doing it even the the minor countries why can't we do it in Australia and it's going to take investment and buy in from from the A-League clubs and the W-League clubs to, to want to be able
0: to do that. In practical terms, H, are we looking at an expanded W League, maybe a second division in future, a women's FFA Cup? I know that's been sort of uh, spoken about a little bit. And on a regional level, I mean, Asia needs to come to the party as well, doesn't it? We need an AFC Women's Champions League. We've, we've had this sort of invitational club championship that started last year. I think Melbourne Victory went there for, uh, uh, to represent Australia. Um, but, but all those things need to be on the table and, and execute it.
1: Yeah, for sure, 100%. And we're looking at, if we, we look at figures, the players need to be playing 40 to 50 games uh, a season, just mm-hmm. like all the other uh, leagues around the world. Um, you only get better when you play under pressure when it comes to games. And um, it, it's also important. So you've got, let's say you've got 28 games or, or whatnot of, of the W League, then you've got FFA Cup on top of that. You've got preseason cups, and then you've got your Asian Cups or Asian Champions throughout that so um, you get near the, the 40 to 50 games um, but there's no point in talking about it it needs to be done and it needs to be done quickly and it's nothing better than, than the build-up for the 2023 World Cup so this I think is it's be- really important.
2: This is the beauty about it is we're all looking at a time frame so we're all looking at some sort of leadership to say when is this going to happen because obviously you're on that starting 11 and there's a lot of paperwork isn't there? It's a little bit like going to do your coaching licences. It's like (laughs) uh, you know, PowerPoint presentations are actually more important than actually doing and being on the field and actually making it happen. And this is what we all have to do. We have to make it happen because I agree with you that the games need to to be more games played. But again, it all comes at an expense. And maybe we have to step back a little bit and actually cut the costs to actually get the goal at Mm. the end. That's the key question, isn't it? Who pays for it?
1: Yeah, and obviously there's going to be uh, financial difficulties with A-League at the moment. Um, You know, obviously COVID's uh, been a massive thing. Uh, We're trying to get the A-League back on and and, and games being played. And people would think that women's football would be the first thing they cut. Now, a lot of owners have come out and said uh, it's certainly not. Um, So I'm sure given that we've got the 2023 World Cup, Uh, The amount of sponsorship, we hope, and the government funding um, that is going to contribute to the finances, hopefully they can see how important it is. And it's it's, it's not just girls, it's for boys as well and and men as well and and, and mums to be part of. And I, I just think it is a breath of fresh air and it's a dream come true to have a World Cup here in Australia and New Zealand, of course. Um, but we've got a really big opportunity and we have to get it right.
2: I, I don't think the women actually realise how big of an opportunity this and I don't think the public actually realise how big of an opportunity this is because I'm being quite honest here, our girls can actually win the World Cup.
0: That was that, going to be my and that, that's,
2: yeah. that's the thing that people really have to get into their brains is that the girls have more chance of winning the World Cup than the men, sadly, but it's true because our girls yeah. are actually in the top... Five six countries in the world, so the more we put in and more we invest into the Matildas to actually be successful, we got to give these girls every opportunity to be successful. And after that, the game has to keep developing forward. And the the women's game has developed forward like massively, massively. But this now is the the extra shot in the arm that it needs. Can they win it? Yeah, and I,
1: I, yeah, absolutely. They can win it. They they can certainly win it. Um, again they need the infrastructure in and around them. Um, but if we you know, dig a little bit deeper, it's not just the Matildas and the national teams that we, we're, we're focusing on. Because let's face it, um, a lot of money's gone into the Matildas uh, the last four or five years. And that's why obviously there's been success there. But our junior national teams haven't qualified through Asia in over 10 years. So mm. that's, that's something that you need to invest in. But then it goes down to our W League you have to invest in, and then our grassroots and getting our grassroots right and getting all our federations and member federations on the same page um, will just be a win for everybody. And, yeah, I I certainly think the Matildas can win it. Um, Obviously, you don't want to say it out loud. um, But for people like you and I, Spider and and Simon, um, it's the World Cup coming to Australia, would you believe? Like, we obviously know what a World Cup is, but to have it here in our country is just... Unbelievable! So, we're going to take this this opportunity.
0: And is is Anto Milicic the man to lead the Matildas through to that World Cup in twenty twenty three? There seems to be a, a little bit of confusion as to whether he's he's going to continue in the role or whether he's he's going to go full time with, with Macarthur.
1: I've got no idea. Um, obviously, <laughs> he's uh, he's uh, with Macarthur, which is uh, going to be my A League team. Growing up as a Westie in, in, in the Campbelltown area, yeah. so. Uh, look, I'm not too sure uh, who, who the best person is for the job, whether he's going to take the team or whether whether somebody else is. Um, but what what I can say is that we do have the players. Um, we've certainly got the firepower up top um, in in the superstars like, uh, you know, Lisa Devana, Sam Kerr, Caitlin Ford. So, uh, yeah, we've got a really big opportunity. So we just need to get it right. And I continue to say that. And that's that's the job of Football Australia.
0: Okay, we're going to finish off our chat, Heather. We call this segment Footballers' Lives, and every week we'll be talking to different footballers, men and women, about their playing careers. Obviously, we went off on a bit of a tangent today because the Women's World Cup is just too important not to talk about and the general situation around the women's game. But I did want to ask you a little bit about your own career, both playing and coaching. You said you're a Westie. I know you grew up playing with uh, some pretty famous uh, male players as well when you were kids. Um, Just just pick out from your long and varied playing career, uh, some highlights for us. uh, We mentioned you played at three Women's World Cups, two Olympics, you won the Women's Asian Cup. Pick out a couple of highlights for us because it was a fantastic playing career that you had.
1: Yeah, certainly. Um, obviously, the first, first highlight for me as a, as a young 16-year-old kid, um, walking out of uh, 120,000 people there at the Olympic Games in the opening ceremony was definitely um, one of the highlights of my life. Um, you, didn't ex- you didn't think it at the time, um, but looking back and being a mother of three and whatnot, uh, what an amazing experience. And I think that the 2023 World Cup could almost be similar to that, that moment and feeling um, coming to Australia. The 2010 Asian Cup, the first silverware um, we'd won through Asia, both men or women, um, was just phenomenal to win. Uh, we were certainly underdogs, and I still look back to some of the games and how we played. Uh, we played the Aussie way, which is roll your sleeves up and, and get stuck in, and, and winning that was, was amazing. And then probably from an from a individual point of view, um, you know, scoring one of the top 10 goals of the World Cup in 2007, I scored a header. And look, I've got a headlock of biscuits in, so I'll take that <laughs> as a quality header. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so three three different moments um, were, were fantastic. But for me, uh, growing up in the era that I did and playing for, for the Matildas that I did, I, I wouldn't change it for the world. I've got so many great mates and uh, the camaraderie we had um, has only paved the way uh, for the future generation, which is nice.
0: In terms of coaching, of course, you just finished up with Canberra United. I know that was in many ways a tough experience uh, for you because you had to balance motherhood uh, and and a tough coaching gig as well. What do you think you learned from that experience? Has it made you a better coach? And Are you ready to go again?
1: Yeah, well, anyone that knows Heather Garriott knows that I'm a winner and I've never lost so many games in my life in the last three (laughs) three seasons of coaching, so... um, Yeah, I I think when you do lose, you you certainly reflect and self-reflect. And I'm going to be a better coach uh, since uh, coaching at Canberra United. And it was tough because as a player and you think you played for the national team and all around the world, you think you can be a coach. Um, But no, playing and coaching is vastly different. They're two different arts. So, um, yeah, I I just think uh, I'll be a better
2: coach for it. Why do we do it to ourselves? I really do wonder (laughs) sometimes. But you know what? You know what the beauty about coaching is? Is when you've actually finished your career as a player, you actually still want the players that you're coaching to do what you did. And the reality is they actually can't do what you did. So you actually have to pull it back a little bit. And you actually develop as a person. Like I've I've enjoyed it because you actually develop as a person as well to, to help people. And you know what? You can lose... A lot of football matches, but you can only get better. And I know that all comes with yeah, experience.
1: Absolutely. absolutely. That's probably my biggest weakness. It's assumed knowledge. So you assume that the players you're coaching know what you're thinking and, and the experience you've got. And so that's probably the major lesson that I've taken out of my three years of coaching at Canberra United.
0: Well, H, if I know you, you will be back stronger and more opinionated than ever, which is why we love you. Um, one final question. I remember you saying a couple of years ago, You wanted to become the first female coach of a men's professional team and you didn't see any reason why that shouldn't happen. And you're absolutely right. Is that an ambition you still hold? And if so, how far do you think you are away from that?
1: Yeah, really good question. Um, I I grew up playing with boys um, in the backyard. Westfields, I was the only girl. So for me, it, it wasn't different for me to be involved with um, men's football I just call it football to be honest and mm. from a coaching perspective I, I see um that females could add some because um, we've got different skills obviously um more analytical than the males uh, I would say oh that's um, a bit rude but yeah <laughs> uh, well do you know what we think differently we think differently yes. so you go out for a national team and and you go out for a club team you're going to think differently to me because obviously genetically we're different. So I think that, yeah, I can contribute um, from the men's side of things. Yes. I I know that I can coach men. I've got the personality and and whatnot. Um, I need to develop more in my coaching um, point of view, but yeah, it's something that I'd love to do. Uh, Can I do it? Absolutely. Um, The perception I think is the, is the biggest barrier. So um, how far off do I think I am? I think, how long's a piece of string? It's just like any, any other ex-pro player walking into any other team. Um, you need to be out of your comfort zone. Um, but being in and involved in the national team stuff at the moment has been uh, really fantastic. I've been on stuff with the Joeys and, and uh, with Arnie and, and whatnot. So it's been great. H,
0: I'll tell you now, if any female coach is going to do it, it's going to be you. <laughs> I know yeah. you and I think you'll do it. And uh, we uh, as a podcast, we'll be celebrating uh, when that happens. Hey, thanks very much for your time. H really appreciate you uh, uh, stopping off on your journey. Cause I know you're back to Sydney from a holiday. So um, uh, safe travels and, and thanks. Good luck.
1: No worries. Thanks Cheers. guys.
0: Thanks Heather. That's uh, Heather Garyok And that is it for this very first edition of shim spider and so much more. Hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to get in touch with us via our Twitter site, at shimmuch capital S capital M and it's the same address on Facebook our podcast will be up every week and we want to hear from you your ideas your thoughts your questions this is a fan show we put you first we want you to contribute and we thank you so much for listening see you next week